0: Today, we're going to learn uh, from the Bible about a nation of people who spent 40 years camping. Let's take a moment to pray again. Oh, Holy Spirit, we ask that you will come and speak to our minds and hearts, bring the word into us so that it may take root and bring life and bear fruit. We pray in Christ's name, amen. Well, you know, as a pastor, I am always amazed when I hear that someone has actually taken action based on something they heard in the sermon, you know? I mean, that's, that's kind of like a fourth quarter touchdown pass, you know? And uh, when Jesus taught, he wanted people to take action. And at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus introduces a parable about two guys. One built his house on rock, the other on sand. Anyway, here's how that parable begins. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. So I hope you will take a minute to jot this down if you haven't done it before um, There's space on the back of your bulletin for taking notes. You can do that. Some of you like to take pictures with your uh, camera or phone. Matthew 7, 24, I'm suggesting that is our our memory verse for this series, uh, Go With a New Flow. So let's say it all together, shall we? Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And this fall we are going through the Sermon on the Mount. It is the longest continuous teaching of Jesus that we have in the Bible and probably the most important. Uh, As you can see, we have a mountain here for this series and the mountain represents... The righteousness of God. The mountain represents Jesus' teaching for us on morality. But Jesus is always willing to start with us where we are at the bottom of the mountain. He doesn't expect that when he finds us, we're already going to be at the top. He's ready to start with us right where we are. We are, Jesus began His his Sermon on the Mount by saying what? Blessed are the poor in spirit. And that's who we are. We are poor in spirit. We are messed up, mixed up, and spiritually bankrupt. But Jesus meets us where we are. The bottom of the mountain. And He walks with us step by step to the top. On the mountaintop, we put into practice What Jesus says we renounce angry outbursts as if they were murder we say no to lustful looking as if it were adultery we fight for our marriages as long as we can we stop swearing oaths in God's name we give up revenge we love our enemies now that's all from Matthew chapter 5 first part of the Sermon on the Mount and amazingly Jesus believes that with God's help we can do it Jesus believes that we can put it into practice. But he also knows that there are dangers lurking on the mountaintop. So please turn with me, if you will. Open your Bible to Matthew chapter 6, starting with verse 1. In the Pew Bible, you'll see it on page 970. And if you came today and you don't own a Bible, then we can fix that. Just take that Pew Bible home. It's yours. You can keep it. Uh, we'll stick another one in during the week. Now, after climbing to the mountaintop in chapter 5, Jesus begins chapter 6 with two words, Be careful. Right? Well, what, what is there to be careful of? We're at the mountaintop. No, He says you've got to be careful. Be careful you don't become prideful about your righteousness. Now, before we read this passage, uh, we're going to check in on our friends Austin and Jarrell. Austin grew up going to church, but he's given up on his faith. Jarrell, on the other hand, is new to it all and is excited about it and has just discovered the Bible, but not always in a healthy way. So let's watch.
1: Yeah, buddy. What are you holding? (laughs) Of course, now you would get amnesia but it's because you've abandoned your God and you became your own God. Roommate, this is called the Bible. Oh, I know what it is. I'm just wondering why you're parading it around the house. I'm not parading it around the house. This is just gonna serve now as a reminder that I am better than you. Because you read the Bible. Exactly, because every time I read this thing, it just is a good reminder of how evil you truly are. (laughs) Dude, you have serious problems. You are not reading the Bible right. No, I'm reading it right, man. Because I'm thinking, how could another man take another man's car? You're still not over this. Wait, 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 wait. Not only did you take my car, but you left me stranded. Not only did you take my car and leave me stranded, but you have failed to pay your side of the bills when you know how important this is. I'm asking God for answers. I decided to look into the Bible, and I found an answer. You're just like your daddy... The devil! Whoa, whoa, dude, whoa. The devil is not my daddy. I am not Rosemary's baby. Mm Mm-mm, man. And then, like, let me think. I think it was John 8, 4, 8, 8 and 44, it says something like, you are just like your daddy, the devil, because you desire to follow out his will. You just replaced my name with the nouns. Exactly. Because every time I look into it, I'm like, is that my roommate? I think that's my roommate. Whoa, dude. You, you didn't read it and think, hmm, maybe this applies to me. No, no, because my daddy is not the devil. That's you, dude. Man, I'm looking inside of this thing, man, and I'm like, I'm actually a good dude. I'm actually trying my best. But you and the rest of this world, y'all are tripping. So you're not tripping? No, I ain't tripping. Y'all are tripping. Oh, you're tripping.
2: You read the Bible and you don't see your own sin. You just see everyone else's. You're a Pharisee, bro. You're you're pious. I knew that the Bible turned some people into monsters. I just never thought I'd witness it. I ain't no
1: monster, dude.
2: Oh, yeah, you are. You don't see your own sin when you read it. Just everybody else's. You think that you're better than everyone.
1: <sighs> not... not everyone.
2: Oh, take the plank out of your eye, bro. The what? The giant 2 by four sticking out of your
1: eye socket. I don't got no wood in my eyes. Oh, so you haven't uh, read that part of the Bible, huh? I guess not.
2: <sighs> You're so pious. I don't even know what that means. Look it up in the dictionary. It's probably a picture of your face. Oh, that joke is so lame, dude. That's like middle school style. Except it's not a joke. It's reality style. It's lame.
0: All right, well, you know, Jerrell is like a lot of Christians. We think we're the righteous ones. We see everybody's sins but our own. Anyway, let's go back to our Bibles, uh, Matthew 6, 1 through 6, and I'm going to ask you to read verse 1 out loud with me, would you? Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them, if you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Now, does Jesus want us to practice our righteousness? Absolutely. I mean, that is what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. But dan- the danger is in becoming a spiritual show-off. Doing it in front of others to be seen. Now, that, that, uh, the word that is translated to be seen originally comes from the theater And uh, it still may carry some of that feel. In fact, the Greek word uh, there, uh, theaomai, has the same root as our word, theater. And it conjures up the idea of wanting to be seen on stage. We love the applause. We want to be admired. So Jesus says, be careful If you're trying to impress people with your spirituality, God will not be impressed. And then Jesus goes on to give us three examples. Let's go to verse 2. He says, So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. He's saying, don't toot your own horn. Those who do, Jesus calls hypocrites. And that's, the word hypocrite is also another word from the theater. Uh, it's a word for an actor, uh, someone who wears a mask on stage. Now, that's fine when you're performing a play, but not when you're giving to the needy. A few months ago, I asked uh, the kids during our children's time, to try to think of something kind that they could do for someone else, and they would keep it a secret from everybody. And only God would see it. And, for example, if it's been windy, has it been windy lately? Anyway, if it's been windy, uh, then, and they see a bunch of sticks and twigs over in their neighbor's front yard, they could secretly go and pick up a whole bunch of those sticks and twigs. And, uh, and if they don't say anything, then nobody's ever going to know. Only God and they are. So, let's look at verses 3 and 4. Jesus says, But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So, let's say that uh, with with one hand you're giving. What's your other hand doing? Pointing. You know, kind of trying to get applause. Jesus says, just get rid of that left hand. Get rid of it. You don't need that. So, the only way to impress your father, to, to, to make sure that you're doing it for the right reasons, is to keep your left hand out of it. That way, your father in heaven will see and will reward you. Now, what kind of rewards are, are we talking about? I mean, if you give $20, is God going to give you 40 I don't think so. Uh, let's go back, to the, you go back to the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount with the, the blessings, the Beatitudes. Jesus says that we receive God's kingdom and comfort and hope. We receive righteousness and mercy. We, uh, we experience God and we're called children of God. I think those are our rewards. And, and the second example Jesus gives is prayer. Uh, let's go to verse 5. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. And, and that I guess that happened, at least for some people in that Jesus' day. They prayed out on the street corner where everybody could see them. So they paraded their praying in public to impress. Now, I don't think Jesus is saying that there's never a reason to pray in public. I mean, this is kind of a public event, right? And we pray. I mean, Jesus prayed in public sometimes. But he's telling us to keep a check on what we're doing and why we're doing it. What are our motives? Uh, Friday night, uh, Trish and I went out for fried chicken at Jack and Mary's. I've never been there before. But uh, we went there. How can you not give thanks for fried chicken? You know? And uh, so when our food arrived, we, we said a little prayer, giving thanks, even though it was a public place. Now, maybe nobody noticed. Maybe nobody even looked our way. I mean, they're all busy eating fried chicken, right? But it is possible that someone saw us, you know, just bow our head a little bit. We, we joined our hands together. And if they did happen to see it, I'm okay with that because it didn't last long. We weren't making a big show. We weren't trying to get anybody's attention. Here's another example. How many of you feel, com- you feel uncomfortable raising your hands in worship? That's a trick question, isn't it? (laughs) Anyway, at our 9 o'clock service, here at our 9 o'clock service, I don't normally raise my hand when I'm singing a song, but i got to tell you, when we were singing um, Great is Thy Faithfulness, that's one of my my favorite ones, and I almost did that, but I kind of did this a little bit, you know, kind of like put my hand on my heart like, oh, Lord, you know, this means a lot to me. Uh, anyway, at our 1045 service, I'm much more likely to do this, raise my hand maybe for a little bit while we're singing a song because I'm not the only one, and I'm not going to stick out, and I don't want to draw attention to myself. Um, and, uh, so, but, but when I do that, you know, I have to ask the question, am I showing off? Am I doing this to try to make people think I'm really super spiritual? Those are important questions. You know, uh, many years ago, I was first introducing some contemporary songs to, uh, in worship, songs like Shine, Jesus, Shine. Choir, you know that one. You sing that one. And uh, anyway, during those days, I didn't lift my hand when I was singing. I mean, really, that's kind of a stretch for me because I'm not naturally a demonstrative person. Um, I really don't, you know, for a preacher, I don't really like to have people look at me, you know, and uh, raising my hand would have felt unnatural, awkward. But once in a while, in my prayer time, I'll sing a song. And I decided just to kind of experiment with it and, and raise my hands uh, while I'm maybe just singing that little song quietly to the Lord, just me and the Lord. And, and, uh, and when I did that, it seemed right it seemed like I was bringing more of myself to God. And after a while then, that translated to being in worship with, you know, on Sunday morning, that I had a little more courage to act on that. Uh, so, you know, sometimes people will see me raise a hand while I'm singing a song, and later they'll say, wow, Steve, you must have been really feeling the Spirit today. You know, you're, you're in touch with God's presence because I saw you raising your hand, and I hate to disappoint them. But a lot of times, the opposite is true. Uh, I might raise my hand because my mind is wandering even while I'm singing, and by getting my body into it a little bit, it helps my mind to focus on worshiping the Lord. And so, uh, some of the the people that you saw here singing in the ensemble are also part of our band. And and I'm at 1045, and I'm fine with, with them if they you know, want to raise their hand a little bit while they're singing. I mean, I don't see that as showy. I see that as freedom and sincerity. But if I were in their shoes, I'd be asking myself, am I just as likely to lift my hands uh, when I'm singing when I'm down below as when I'm on stage? Because if I'm only going to do it when I'm on stage then I have to ask myself, why am I doing this? Is it just for show? Or is it for God? But I also know I can't judge anybody else's motives, right? I mean, Jesus is, we're going to hear Jesus talk about that in a few weeks. Uh, and when it comes to your prayer time with God, in verse 6, here's what Jesus recommends. But when you pray, go into your room. Close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Uh, Last week we took a a break from the Mountain Time Guide, the daily guide that we send out. uh, We'll start it again tomorrow. It consists of a verse or two from the Sermon on the Mount, a, a quote that helps illuminate that, and a question or two. And uh, if you're new to this, you can get uh, the Mountain Time Guide uh, on our Facebook page, or it's tweeted on Twitter, or also maybe the best way is just to download our Faith Westwood app, and you'll get notifications every day if you want them. Uh, The Mountain Time Guide is a way of encouraging you to spend a little time in prayer every day. Jesus is saying, find a spot. Find a spot where you can be alone from God. And if, that, if the only place where you can be alone, mom, is in the bathroom, <laughs> then use that, shut the door. Have a little time, just you and God. I came across a great quote the other day from Rick Warren. He says, I'll put it on the screen. When you don't feel like praying, you're not praying what you feel. Faking kills prayer. Tell God your true feelings, all of them. You can't be close to God without without being honest to God. Isn't that powerful? When you don't feel like praying, maybe it's because you're not praying what you feel. You might want to jot that one down. A quote like that can kind of prime the pump for your daily prayer time. So, I just encourage you, kind of like I did with the kids, select your spot, pick your time, find 10 or 15 minutes that you can be alone with God. It could change your life. Now, next Sunday, we're going to read verses 7 through 15 when we look at the Lord's Prayer. But today, we're going to skip down to verses, uh, starting with verse 16, where Jesus picks up the third example of Uh, parading your piety he says when you fast don't look somber as the hypocrites do for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting truly I tell you they have received their reward in full some of us fast on occasion probably more people fast during Lent than other times of the year Jesus doesn't command us to fast, but he sort of assumes we will fast. In the ancient uh, Jewish tradition, uh, they would fast normally on at least part of the day, most of the day, on Mondays and Thursdays. And apparently, as Jesus is saying, some of them made a show of it, of their fasting, by trying to look as miserable as they possibly could. They wanted some recognition for their fasting. Well, I don't think we would do that. We might talk about it a lot, but we wouldn't try to look miserable. So how does this apply to us today? I think it's easy for churches to kind of get into a habit where we like to pat ourselves on the back a lot. We like to talk about how great we are, but you know, I found that there's a, there's a fine line between celebrating and bragging right? There's a fine line between celebrating and bragging, and we've got to find out where that line is. For example, in my email on, uh, <clears throat> on Friday, by the way, are you, not, are you getting my email on Friday? If not, make sure that you are, you know, let our office know. But anyway, I, I told about how this local mission, uh, Chariots for Hope, uh, they used the offering that we uh, gave for them last month, to repair I think probably a donated vehicle. Last Wednesday uh, several of our middle school and high school students detailed that car. It was spotless. Uh, The recipient uh, also happened to be vetted by a member of our church. So you know I want to celebrate that. I thought what a cool thing that we get to be a part of something like this. And on Wednesday night at 6 o'clock, right out in the front parking lot, we're going to have a car blessing. You can all come to it. We're going to have a car blessing, and that vehicle will be given, the keys will be handed over to its new owner, and hopefully we'll be celebrating and not bragging. So how do we celebrate instead of brag? How do we draw that fine line? Well, I've got a I've got a few ideas here. I'll put them up. First, we give glory to God, the giver of all good gifts. If, if we're kind of like this and always pointing to ourselves, we're not giving the glory to God. We've got to give the glory to God. Second, we recognize others who join the effort. Now, in this case, Chariots of Hope, they're doing the biggest share of the work, right? So we, we want to recognize that somebody else probably gave the car, I mean, this is, this is, whatever we do, there are always other people who are part of it. And then thirdly, focus on those in need and not on congratulating ourselves. At that car blessing, let's focus on the person who's, who's receiving this blessing of the car. That's going to open up all kinds of doors for them to go to school and to have their job. And, and, uh, and let's focus on that and not trying to pat ourselves on the back for how great a church we are. Last month, we received uh, mission offerings for hurricane victims. A lot of you know that. And uh, our United uh, Methodist Committee on Relief, known as UMCOR, asked us to prepare as many flood buckets as we possibly could. And I remember standing here in front of you uh, one of those Sundays and saying, I would challenge us to to, to give the money to fill 100 flood buckets A hundred flood buckets is going to be filled with all of the items that a a person or a family needs to to repair and rebuild after a flood. Um, Well, uh, by the end, a few weeks later, we had filled 239 flood buckets. Now, I can celebrate that. But in our celebration, what do we do? We give the glory to God. We recognize that we don't do this alone. We're in in partnership with others. And we focus on those in need and not on congratulating ourselves. I want to share with you a brief video uh, from UMCOR about the relief efforts uh, happening in the wake of those hurricanes. So let's watch.
2: It was scary. Um, Rain was pelting down at that time. And my husband was trying to get out what he could because he could tell, you know, it was getting a lot worse than we thought. And we just kept watching the water rise. And he said that when he left, the water was in the house. And of course, we got pictures later, and all we could see was our roof. We're probably going to have to just demolish this home and go start a new life.
0: See, we have a park this year. That's what caused it with her oak tree pulling on my oak tree, and then that fell on the house. And it was a huge noise, and the whole house shook. And the vent right in front, I was sitting right in front of a return vent, and it shook, and I thought, oh, goodness.
3: You know, it's it's just one story after another, as those who have been displaced, uh, and like I said, with the apartments being damaged, and you know, there's a lot of Section 8 housing. And when those are damaged, that is, they really don't have anywhere else to go. How can you get your head around next steps, recovery?
0: Uh, I, that's probably one of the hardest parts right now. So we're, we're putting together a small team and we're gonna start building that team as we start um, meeting
3: the needs and, and trying to figure out what recovery is gonna look like.
1: Lift up those who have fallen Sustain those who work to restore and to rebuild.
0: People who love you with all of their heart and people who truly want to engage their community and 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 not just their community, but sometimes for the people that no one else sees or cares about. It
2: brings hope to see people on the ground, it brings hope to know that uh, others are here alongside them, partnering with them. I believe it brings hope to know that UMCOR, representing the global church, is here alongside, partnering with the conference. Thank you so much for your generous contributions to UMCOR, both in terms of your financial gifts, your prayers, uh, the relief kits and so much more that you are doing every day to help your neighbors and let them know of the work that we are doing together in Jesus' name.
0: I like that video. Um, It focuses on those in need and not congratulating ourselves or congratulating UMCOR for how fantastic they are. It recognizes how we are always working in partnership with with one another. And you can tell by by the the faith and and the prayers and things that were happening that they were seeking God and giving glory to God from whom all blessings flow. And I think it also helps put our 239 flood buckets in perspective, doesn't it? I mean, those buckets were important, but they're a small part. A a part of something much bigger than ourselves, because in the end, it's not about us. And I think that's the message that Jesus wants us to grasp that when we give, when we pray, when we fast and serve and sacrifice, in the end, it's not about us. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, our God, we, we thank you that we get to do a small part. And uh, whether it's helping prepare a car for someone or giving somebody a bucket of supplies that they can work on their house with. Um, Lord, it, we are thankful for that. And yet, Lord, we're thankful that it's because you are at work in this world and uh, you have created this, this network, this kingdom of God in which uh, people are working and serving together and caring enough to be there when, when, especially in times of disaster. And so, Lord, we ask that you'll continue to make us the kind of church and the kind of Christians where we're not always, we're not looking to pat ourselves on the back. We're not looking to congratulate ourselves for how great we are. But we're willing to just Give the glory to you. And uh, just look to what we can do that will be a part of the blessing you want to bring to this world. So, Lord, we ask that you will forgive us for times when we have sought the glory for ourselves and continue to refine us. Show us the dangers on the top of the mountain where we kind of point to our own righteousness. Help us to let that go and to serve you humbly, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's stand as we sing.
3: And hopeless gain Though I may give All I possess And striving so My love profess But not begin my love within The prophet's sin. Spirit, come, our hearts control. Our spirit long.
0: I uh, want to let you know that immediately following this service, as Donna mentioned earlier, there's going to be that brief meeting up in the chapel upstairs, talking about the Costa Rica, uh, talking about the Costa Rica trip in the spring. I am planning to go on that trip. I would love to have uh, you go with me. Uh, so check in on that. Even if you just want to learn more, no commitments at this point, but uh, check it out. Okay. In seven days, we're going to gather right back here again, and over these next seven days, be the kind of person, the kind of disciple that puts into practice what Jesus says. Let's say together, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.